Uh, thank you so much for coming to worship with us uh, this Sunday morning. I just before we uh, jump into our conversation and the, uh, the message today, I just want to highlight and, and double down on what my wife uh, shared at the end of worship. You know, this whole notion of trusting God is is difficult for us. It's difficult for humans. It's difficult enough to trust things that we see, right? Uh, flesh and blood. Sometimes it's even more difficult, more complex to trust God, who is perhaps less. Um, easy, not as easy to see in flesh and blood, but I, I just had this thought in my head. I remember when Asa was little, and uh, I'm sure this happened the first time. I don't recall, you know, succinctly, but I believe it was out of necessity. One day, we had these stairs that went down two levels, and there was a little landing there, and Asa tended to uh, just take longer uh, to get ready, and we were always rushing out the door. I'm the type of person that if you're not five minutes early, you're late, and uh, so I'm constantly under, like, high stress and anxiety. And Tiny's like, baby, we have time. I'm like, no, we do not have time to get there on time, which means early. And you are always on time, which is late. And oftentimes we are late, and it's your fault. And it breaks down from there. Amen? So uh, I believe it probably happened in terms of necessity. But Asa was probably playing with his toys or something at the top of the uh, steps. And I looked at him, and I was like, hey, buddy, jump. Jump to me. We, we don't have time for you to toddle down the steps. I need you to leap. I need you to fly like a bird and I will catch you. And he jumped and we did this and it was probably kind of became a routine that we did. What starts as a necessity then becomes a routine. And then at some point it moves from being a routine to being your normal and your expected. I remember another time I was in, maybe it's too much information, but I was using the restroom. And the restroom was facing that stairwell. And I remember I flushed the toilet, I was done, and I was walking out of the restroom, and as I walked out, out of the corner of my eye, I hear and I see my son say, here I come, Dad. We weren't going out. We weren't getting ready to go out. He, what had become a necessity and moved to a routine had become a normal expectation. That I can jump off of these steps at any moment and my daddy will catch me. And so maybe you're in a place financially or relationally where God is pressing upon you to do something that feels like a necessity, it feels difficult, and it's the first time. And I had to coax my son to jump that first time. But as I turned and saw him flying in the air out of the corner of my eye, I didn't think to myself, I didn't call him. Asa understood the character and personality of his dad. That if he leapt off that top step, I would catch him. I wasn't even paying attention, church. I was doing my own business. Can I get a witness? But out of the corner of my eye, my son said, hey, dad. And so I want to encourage you all today. God is trustworthy. And we can declare, and our declaration to him is beautiful, God I, I want to be there for you, God. You're amazing. God, I, I want to be with you. But e the even more wonderful declaration is God's initiating declaration to us. It says, I am with you. I am for you. Ever before we achieve or love or give justice or serve mercifully, God is there for us. And so maybe you're at a place in your life where something feels like a necessity. Maybe it's becoming a routine. But my hope and my desire is that we would all get to a place that trusting God becomes an expectation of the way we live our lives. Amen? All right. Well, let's continue on with our series this morning. 
I want to reiterate what I shared in the open weeks of this series. If you're joining us today, we're talking about don't move that. Don't move that. And I talked about how I find opting out to be accessible with alarming ease. Opting out is way too accessible. And I'm not just talking about cell phone bills. We should be able to get out of our cell phone contract any time we please. But I'm talking about other areas and avenues of our lives. Disposable should not be this available. And yeah, I think we should have a conversation about our forks and our straws and our consumables that we just kind of glibly throw in a trash can. We need to conserve. We need to recycle. We need to be people who understand that taking dominion over the earth also, also means taking care of it. So that's another conversation perhaps for another day. But disposable and available should not be as accessible as it is in our friendships, in, in our relationships, in our places of employment where one explosion leads to another leaving and one disagreement doesn't work into a conversation but actually works into an exit plan. Nor should it enter into our marriages where there's hurt and points of pain that become bitterness, that become not bridges for reconciliation and conversation, but reasons and walls to walk away. Now, please hear me if you find yourself, for whatever reason, in a place of starting over, beginning again, because there are, there are a lot of circumstances, I, I understand, that are painfully outside of our own control. I don't mean to condemn anybody today. I don't want to further heap any more disappointment or injury or shame on you than you wrestle with each and every day. Every morning, I personally crave those fresh mercies that come with the dawning of every day, offering me new. And I personally work really hard and I know I'm not the only one. I have to work really hard emotionally to prioritize God's narrative above my own narrative. To indeed come in line with the scriptures that say my thoughts aren't your thoughts, Christoph. Maybe, just maybe, God thinks differently than you do. This don't move that conversation we've been having is simply to highlight how the new that God has for us is not mutually exclusive from the old that is within us, from the old things that are around us, from the old things that are always and have always been, and I would hazard to say will always be available to us. At times, it's indeed these old things, when engaged well, they are what help make us a new thing. The scriptures we've talked about, We've mentioned Jesus should be an old thing in our lives. Come back to him time and time again. Confession, worship, prayer, and friendship. On this Money Sunday when we give account, we celebrate, we forecast the future finances of the church, we want to discuss the don't move that piece of generosity. Generosity. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to be talking about and having a conversation around generosity. Are you with me this morning? Generosity. Uh, let's read our hallmark passage of Scripture very quickly. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. Do not. Say do not. 
Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. In the midst of the new, in the midst of the new year, in the midst of all of the things that we have and our brand new commitments to the gym and the routine and the, the diets and everything else, and I'm so grateful for that. Fresh starts and new things are awesome. But let's come back to understanding that there are some old things that will help make us a new thing. Don't move some of those ancient landmarks that actually rotate around your life, not to keep you back from something, but rather to have you understand you have an authority, you have an inheritance from God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Say fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Now, just as an aside, we're going to do a series all summer long on the Sermon on the Mount. How to be human is the title of that series. I'm looking forward to that. But when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he isn't talking about heaven like pearly gates, somebody letting you in. Kingdom of heaven is an economy of thought. It's a way of living. It's a way of doing your life. It's a way of seeing others, and it's a way of seeing yourself. It's much more of a trajectory than it is a threshold. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place. Whether some of us are here today and we, we feel it, uh, we sense something new or different, we thank you that according to the scriptures, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So by simple arithmetic, Father, we know that you are here. We make our hearts and minds available to you. Uh, mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. I, uh, I want to do a lot today. I'm going to try and do a lot today. We'll see how much I get through. I'm going to kind of give you an overview so you know where we're headed. I want to start with an aside. I want to start getting up a little bit on a soapbox, if you'd allow me. And I have the microphone, so thank you for allowing me. We're going to reframe then uh, generosity in general before working through our Money Sunday publishing, which will be passed out in a few moments. And finally... I'm going to give some practicals towards our reframed understanding of generosity. So, my aside, my soapbox. For too long, I find not even just in our day and age, but as I research, I'm a, a history person by trade. I was a history major at the College of Women Mary. Uh, I, I value history and looking back at what others have said and others have done and incorporating that into who I am and understanding why we are, where we are, and who we are. But for too long, I, I find and have found the loudest voices of the church have been bent towards division. The loudest voices of the church bending down towards division, perhaps not purposefully, but things like, if you believe in Jesus, then you believe. If you believe in Jesus, then you do. If you go to that church, then you vote like this. Or, or if you go to this church, then you live like that. This, my sisters and brothers, is divisive, exclusive language. 
This is called being prejudiced. It's being judgmental. Now, I don't know about you. I do it without even trying. Without even trying to think about it or dictate an attitude, I find myself in that place automatically. I have to fight against it constantly. When I go to the gym, I, I, they, everybody has a screen now. You don't have to bring your cell phone anymore. Everybody's got a screen on a treadmill. Everybody's got a screen on a bike. Everybody's got a screen everywhere and everything. And I walk in and there would be three or four uh, bikes lined up together. And nobody's on those bikes, but there's uh, perhaps the news on. And there's uh, CNN and there's Fox and there's MSNBC and there's ESPN and there's HGTV. And immediately I have an opinion about each person who's on those bikes. Are you with me today? Every, whoever, whatever they're watching, I know who they are. I know what they think. I know their economic opinions. I know how much they give or don't give. I know how they serve or they don't serve based on walk, walking by and seeing what they watch. I'm also the guy that walks in and if nobody is on those bikes, I turn them off. Because I get so distracted by all the things that are going on on those TVs. And everybody else watches me. I had this one guy, and I just clicked off all three and then got at the very end. And, and he looked at me, he's like, and I was like. <laughs> and maybe it's because, and I'm drilling down on something because I'm just easily distracted. But I would submit to you, that's not the case. We lean into that divisive language, that exclusivity. Are you with me today? I see people driving with bumper stickers and I know exactly what type of person they are. I see people with certain clothing, a t-shirt and a hat, and I know exactly what type of person they are. Sometimes I might be wrong. I mean, sometimes I'm not. When you see somebody with a Patriots or Steelers shirt, you know what kind of character they have. But that's a whole other conversation for another day. I grant the benefit of the doubt, I try, to people who drive this bending narrative because I presume they're legitimately concerned for the future. They lean into this right and wrong dynamic, this black and white mode of thinking. They, they, the constant correction towards conformity, look like me, act like me, walk like me, talk like me, read the news that I read. They manufacture change in others. All of these things are more like it because they're trying to create a better or more honestly a safer future. I hear the heart behind that, but I'm just not sure that it achieves the intention. Now, please don't misunderstand me this morning. I do find there to be rights and wrongs. I do believe that there are some things that would lead us to a healthy, God-willed existence and some things that would detract and deconstruct what God has intended for us to be. I find those points of initiation in the scriptures to be warm and caring. I find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the reality that God doesn't want me to live in bondage, but he wants me to live in breakthrough. He doesn't want me to live uh, just lashed to what I can accomplish, but he wants me to walk in the freedom of what he has provided. Jesus carries this on in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as he doubles down on the Ten Commandments, as we just read. He's not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill. 
Jesus again doubles down on his doubling down when they ask him, what's the greatest thing? What's the most important commandment? He says that you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love others with your whole heart as you love yourself. And we here at Life Church do find amidst our human brethren that though there may not be a majority of commonality, you might look around this room and be able to find some people who are similar to you. But one thing we all do have in common for certain is our shared need for correction. We all have a shared need for correction. We have a pregnant presumption for redemption, for God to redeem us, receive us, and make us new. But not in a, hey, we have it figured out kind of way. Again, going back to that divisive, exclusive language. I think the church would presume to communicate that. We have it figured out. Be like us. We have it figured out. Worship like us. We have it figured out. Love like us. We have it figured out. Give money like us. We have it figured out. Dress like us. We have it figured out. Eat and drink and do these things like us. Not in a, we have it figured out kind of way. But rather in a, hey, you look like you don't know what you're doing either. Why don't you come and follow this Jesus and see if we can't figure it out together? I liken it in a very practical way, like my trips to the grocery store. I'm sure <laughs> the people at Trader Joe's must just think I'm a Looney Tune. Because every time I don't walk, like my wife walks into Trader Joe's and she's a machine. She's in and out of there, regardless of if there are 100 people in there or five people. She's in and out in 17 minutes, even with a child, with their own little cart going wayward. She's in and out. She knows where everything is. Me, I walk in, I'm like, I take a deep breath, and I just start going like this. I know these things are here somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to make it out of this alive. And even if I don't, there are provisions here for me to survive. But this is why Jesus' declaration is, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He invites us not to a set of rules or principles. He invites us to himself and not to arrive at him, but to follow him. To begin a journey that doesn't necessarily have any point of termination. It's a relationship of ever-changing, of growing, of apologizing, <laughs> And maybe, maybe, just maybe thinking differently than when he used to. At 38 years old, I think many things differently than I did at 17. And not just in raising kids, because I knew how to raise a kid at 17. I have no clue how to raise a kid at 38 with three kids. But just in terms of God and who he is and what he looks like and how he speaks and how he moves, these things have changed, and I think that's okay. Along those lines, I think we, we miss the boat on some of the themes of Christianity, the themes of following Jesus. We make mountains out of molehills, and we disregard those major actual themes like love, like mercy, like kindness, grace. And I would add to that as well generosity. Generosity is a theme of the entire scriptures. I want to give you all a definition. I want to reframe that for us this morning. Generosity, uh, being generous, is the act of properly valuing oneself in the context of others 
and the larger accepted inclusive we. Generosity. Being generous. I know it's behind me, but I'm going to read it anyway because I think the sound of my voice is delightful. Being generous is the act of properly valuing oneself in the context of others and the larger accepted inclusive we. God is not interested in what or how much you have. God is not interested in your extra. He's interested and fully invested in you. You. And your properly valuing you as he does will always place you in a larger we that gives space for your proper value to be influential. We see this in the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, but one place in particular, a couple places I'll speak to her, is the person of Moses. In Genesis, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3. Moses is in a place, he is at this stage of his life, Exodus 3, he's a murderer, he's an outlaw. He's been left, he's been forgotten, and now he's on the run. And he's serving in the field of his father-in-law. He doesn't even have anything of his own. And he's serving in Jethro's field, and he's the shepherd of somebody else's sheep. And lo and behold, God comes to him and speaks to him and invites him and says, Hey, I want you to do this thing. I want you to step into who you really are, Mo. Come on, man. Let's go. Let's do this. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Listen to me. I'm talking about generosity today. That God speaks to Moses and says, Hey, I want you to go back, and I want you to bring breakthrough to these people. I want you to properly value yourself, Moses. And Moses' first response is, who am I? And God's response to him is, I'm with you. Properly valuing ourselves understands that God's declaration to us is, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm on your side. That doesn't make you perfect, murderer, outlaw, chaser. You ain't got nothing but what your father-in-law gave you. Hello? But he says, I'm with you. And Moses engages the conversation. It goes back and forth for a while. And finally he gets down to some substantive conversation. And he says, okay, how am I going to convince the people? How am I going to do these things? And God says something so interesting. He says, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? We're talking about generosity today. Moses had his normal. He had what he always had. He had what he only had, which was a staff. And it became a source of power, a source of miracle working, a source of even confidence, and a source of breakthrough later in the story of the Israel conversation. Just that thing comes back. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? It's not a special thing. It's not more than. It's just what do you have? Who are you? I'm with you. What do you have, Moses? We see this in one of the most powerful prophets in the entire scriptures in 1 Kings 17. Elijah is on the run. He's been asked to do some things. And in 1 Kings 17, he, he's without. He's just without. And he engages a woman who has even less. And he says, would you make me some food? Would you give me something to drink? And she says, I don't have anything. I have a little bit and I'm going to make this for me and my son and we're going to die. Not properly valuing who she is and what she has. And the prophet challenges her say, hey, all right, make it, and let's see how far this goes. And a miracle has worked, and they have provision. 
I'm reminded too of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. You would think that opening blind eyes would get a little bit of a mention in every Gospel. Maybe the raising of the dead would get a mention in every Gospel. The only miracle that Jesus works that shows up in every Gospel is when he feeds the 5,000. And it's so interesting that what he does with a little, he turns it into very much when it's put into the hands of God. Generosity is not measured monetarily or fully by just what you have. That is selling who you are short. Generosity is measured by you. The whole commodity of you, treasures, time, talents, all of you in community. You cannot measure your generosity without community, without those around. If I could have those who have the Money Sunday Publishing come now, it's within this context. I'd like to go through uh, this with you all. I know there are a lot of you this morning, so they will get to you and, and they are coming along. But I'm going to go ahead and start speaking to this and you can join with us. We've simplified our publishing this year. We've had in the past little pamphlets. We've kind of gone to a more simplified front and back uh, drilled down and just made smaller font. I mean, at the end of the day, it's crazy what small font does. You can go further. But I just want to remind you all with a disclaimer today, we're giving you all of the records and all the finances and everything that we have. Um, this is not a CPA-regulated document. Uh, so we have our financials compiled every year. We will receive that in about May or April uh, of this year, or May or June, rather. So if you have any questions further, uh, we would love to make those available to you. If you love looking at balance sheets and you love looking at budget and income statements, we can more than, uh, we'd be more than happy to give that to you. We're not trying to hide anything. Uh, so this is indeed, as Brady mentioned, our ninth Money Sunday. We did make the transition nine years ago, wanting to talk about these types of things as a church together rather than on Tuesday evening at 7.04 p.m. with seven people in the room. All right, and this is where we celebrate and give account, just as it says, of all that God has given to us. And we want to begin by informing you how we do that. So under the heading of categories and financials, we split our finances up into four sections, four categories. Overhead, these are finances needed to allow the building, grounds, and property to function efficiently and effectively, a specific contracts, dues, and bills. We have personnel. These are finances requested to appropriately staff roles and functions in the church to enable ministry to take place efficiently and effectively. Operations. These are finances requested to allow ministries and teams to function effectively. And finally, partnership. Finances requested to further kingdom-focused efforts in the church community, our city, within the U.S. and internationally. Includes all benevolence, initiatives, and so forth. And each of those have a percentage. In a perfect world, say perfect. In a utopian society, we would like to develop a budget that has 32.5% overhead, 32.5% personnel, 20% operations, 10% partnership. I don't know about you, but I woke up today in a dystopian circumstance. But that is where we would like. And if you can see, the image underneath is a, a pie chart of what a budget would look like with those proper percentages. And if you're also wondering, hey, Christoph, I'm not too good at math, but all those percentages don't equal up to 100%. You... You are gifted. 
It equals 95%. We here at Life Church budget the previous year's tithe income at 95%. Why? Because we don't trust God? No, because we believe in stewardship and faith together at the same time. So we don't budget 100% of what came in the previous year. We budget up to 95%, and we keep that, 90, that rather 5% allocation to see whatever comes before us. Also, uh, this year for the first time, we're not making a budget for the entire year. We're doing what's called a rolling budget. So we make a budget for the first quarter, and then we'll make a budget for the second quarter. We'll make a budget for the third quarter, and so on and so forth. This enables us to be more flexible with certain payments and certain dues that come up in different seasons. Additionally, we have a zero line here at the church, at Life Church. We don't believe that zero is our zero. We believe that a month and a half's uh, budget number is our zero line. So we have a self-imposed zero line of uh, just north of $68,000. Currently, I can tell you all, we have a little over $81,000 in the bank. So we are, uh, we are in a healthy space for that. Are you tracking with me? I know this is super exciting for some of you. For others of you, you're like, this is amazing. This is incredible. Um, so you see there on the chart, under categories and financials, you have the 2019 planned. So that's based on the 2018 giving. In 2018, the tithe income was $623,000, a little bit north of that. And so we built a budget off of actually 95% of that, which would have been $592,000. And then you can see the numbers on down from there. This was 2019 planned. We also planned and told you all as such that we were going to pay, or excuse me, budget money outside of our budget for some staffing and for some things that we as a church wanted to grow into. So that's what that planned external budget expense was. The actual reality of what came in in 2019, uh, only... Uh, Actually, $543,000 was given in tithe income, which we're super grateful for, uh, but was $80,000 less than the previous year. We understood that. We tracked with that. We did what we could to rein in some of our spending, some of our budgets, and so forth. And so at the end of the year, we were $75,000 less in cash than we were in the beginning of the year. Are you with me? All right. I'll speak to that in a moment. 2020, as I said, uh, is our budget. We're doing only a quarter at a time. So there are our numbers uh, based on what came in in 2019. Now, numbers of note, as I mentioned, 2018 tithe income was $623,000. 2019 budget we built at $592,000, which is about 95% of that income. We had $50,000 less come in than that. So in 2019, we were 8% under our budget and 13% under our total giving from the previous year. Turn over to the back for me because we ask ourselves, why? What happened? We here at Life Church don't do anything that doesn't come from Life Church. We don't receive any funds from outside organizations. But as you can see here, we have something called giving units. Giving units are metrics used by financial institutions, predominantly for nonprofit organizations. So every home is, that gives is a giving unit. If you're here today and you gave $100 last year, you're a giving unit. If you're here today and you gave $10,000 last year, you're a giving unit. It's a metric that is used by financial institutions. And as you can see, from 2018 to 2019, we had a 16% drop in giving units. So we went from 427 in 2018 to 357 in 2019. That makes us ask, why? What happened there? Because alternatively, our attendance ticked up a little bit. Our groups 
went up. Our group involvement went up. I'll just be honest with you today, church. Oftentimes, people's time and people's treasures, their finances, are the last things to arrive at the church, although they are the first things to leave. And so we find, according to this and talking with people and measuring out the health of the church, that we're in a bit of a transition season for some of those things to come home, for some of those things to be planted and rooted. As I was preparing this morning, I remembered a good friend of mine, dear friend of mine, Matt Goodman, who was on staff for many years and an elder. He said, Christoph, it's so important for people to know. He said this many, many years ago. He said, when people come into the church, it's important for them to know that the church is all about them. And then at some point for them to realize that the church is not about them at all. And we are in a bit of a transition, I believe, as a church, as people are finding this as a home and getting rooted and getting planted where people can make those commitments and make those connections, make those healthy attachments. One pl- we see them all over the place, again, in attendance, in group involvement, in life of the church. I know that Jasper mentioned this, or I spoke to that in the email this past week as we had our winter shelter week. We had so much more involvement. We had so many more people giving their time, so many people present for the shelter. And those are the types of things that we know preclude what God is doing in this current season. So that's giving units. And that's also, you see a bit of a correlation. If there's a 16% drop in giving units, you also see then the 13% drop in finances. There's a bit of a correlation there. Are you tracking with me today? Do you love Jesus? Do you hate numbers? Hallelujah. (laughs) So the second piece there is assets and liabilities. Assets are owned valuables of the church. Liabilities are debts and financial obligations of the church. The only liability that we have is the mortgage. As you can see there, the trend continues as it has for many years. Uh, we had, uh, in 2013, in the beginning of that graph, we had 2 to $2.1 million, And each year, about sixty dollars to $70,000 of principal has come off. Last year, in fact, uh, we had uh, $71,000 of principal come off of the mortgage of the building due to your, your faithful giving. And just made a note, as of uh, December 31st, 2019, Life Church had uh, just about $1.6 million left on the note with our bank. So, giving life on Sundays. Because ultimately for us, people are the bottom line. This is why we can't just retract all of the, the budget concerns that we have because the giving goes down, because people are important and we have to and want to stay committed to all that's going on. Giving life on Sundays, these are some of the things that get put into place due to your generosity. Much done is giving through our Sunday gatherings well beyond treasures. People give of their time and talents. In 2019, we saw attendance go up from 399 to 411. Over 40 people serve each and every Sunday to make everything happen. Over 40 people is what it takes. There are four people on staff at this church. Four. It takes over 40 people for everything to happen on a Sunday morning. And if you're here today and you haven't made that attachment, we would love to invite you to increase that area of generosity in your life. We've carried an average of 80 plus kids in small groups. You know why it's so calm right now? Because it's not all behind those walls. <laughs> no, they're doing a great job. The volunteers and uh, Jay and his team, the Kid Life Builders, do a phenomenal job caring for young people and, and their small groups. And time and again, we hear the refrain, we came to church because of our kids, and we keep coming back to church because of our kids. They love it here. And I'm like, that's awesome. How about the preaching? You're like, ah, it's okay. The worship's great. I'm like, okay, glad to have you here. I feel super challenged and encouraged. I'm going to go eat 50 donuts. 
We also celebrated 52 people giving their lives to Jesus, eight people getting water baptized, all on Sunday mornings. Now, we don't believe the full width and breadth of our reach is on Sundays. We would rather the full width and breadth of our giving and our generosity to be Monday through Saturday. Now, I can't speak to everything that is going on in every person's life, but I can speak to some things. We had over 60 small groups offered all across our community. A lot of people offering first-time groups in their homes and spaces of their lives, making space in their schedules. The church hosted the mobile food bank all year, one week of the winter shelter. We just served. We served with other churches for their weeks. Life Church hosted largely again, and this is, this is one that I want to highlight, a beautiful reality that John Slokovitz came to the church like, hey, we should do a blood drive. I'm like, great, you do it. And he was like, okay. And he went to the Red Cross and he organized it. And we came alongside him. And we tried to make this whole thing a success. And it was kind of ebbing and flowing. We'd never done this before. And Red Cross was like, hey, we're thinking we're, we're, this is kind of the number. And John was like, I want to crush that number. And you know what we did? We crushed it. You crushed it. Like this church offered, and it's wonderful to offer anything we can. But to give blood to a community for those who are really in need is a wonderful thing. And they, the, the Red Cross people kept saying, like, this, this is the first time y'all have done it? This is crazy. There's so many. This is awesome. It's so good. And through the Gifts of Hope initiative, we had a $5,000 goal. We crushed it. We crushed it. We gave $6,000 to one partner in Heart for Orphans, $5,500 to Letitia's house, while also being able to give over $1,600 to another partner in Wings of Refuge Children's Home. The church raised and gave six grand to furloughed government employees. Remember when the government shut down and people didn't get paid for over a month? And you said, hey, that stinks. That's no good. We're going to give money. And we gave money to people in their time of need. That's beautiful, church. Life Church gave $1,200 to Greater Williams Outreach Mission. We paid for security in the interfaith Thanksgiving celebration that took place in Williamsburg, hosted by Hart. Life Church collected, dispersed over $1,400. The open closet takes place that is open, and you all get things. People come in all week long to get things from the church. We were able to give $1,400 because of that back into our community to help with doctor's bills and rent and electric and utilities and so forth because of that opportunity. And over $500, all that coffee, all that jitteriness that you've been walking in, from the cafe, over $500 was able to be given to our partners and other opportunities over the course of the year. So, thank you, church. Thank you, church. Immediately following our gathering, our elders and our staff team will be available for specific questions if you have them. I will tell you that if you have a specific question, I, I would submit to you that the answer is probably going to be, I don't know. We'll get back to you. Because oftentimes people want to know specifics, and that's great. We'd love to give them to you. We will email you a document. We set up a conversation for you. But this is, uh, we know this hopefully is helpful. Uh, but we also know that maybe it's not exactly what you might be looking for in understanding our finances. If I could have those who are going to celebrate communion come and uh, prepare that, I'd appreciate it. It's in this context that I want to return to our conversation on generosity. And celebrate communion as well. Generosity. Uh, who likes to bake? Does anybody like to bake? I, I'm not crazy about baking because it's chemistry. I can cook all day because you can add, take out, do this, do that. Like baking, you put something in and you just pray to Jesus that it doesn't blow up. It actually rises or it falls or whatever. I don't know what's supposed to happen. 
But they say one part this, two parts that, four parts this. I'm like, what's a part, baby? She's like, well, you have to go back to the previous ingredient show. I'm like, why don't they just say, why don't they just use regular words? I'm going to give you some baking stuff here. Generosity is one part treasures amassed and two parts giftings graced. Yes, part of our generosity is our treasures, what we give financially, but it's also the time that you've been allotted. It's also the talents that you have been given. And here's the thing, and I'm just being honest with you today, church. I have found no matter the frame we're discussing, people don't give, by and large, not because they're mean and miserly, but rather because they don't properly value themselves. And so what we're gonna do in the context of our communion this morning as we celebrate this is, we're gonna value ourselves as God values us. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Jesus gave all of himself because he valued you as such, as worth it. And so I have one more thought I'd like to share, but uh, there's bread and cup in the back and there's bread and cup in the front. Brenda and Nancy, the two with gluten-free Jesus. And then we're gonna, uh, I wanna share one more thought and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Father, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We thank you that you lead us and guide us to truth. And so we ask that you would just have your way in that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may come and get the bread and cup. God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and only God for all that he has done praise him for he has God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, hold in your hand the bread and the cup forever instituted by Christ himself that when you do this think of me think of Jesus think of what he has accomplished what he has done what has been fulfilled on your behalf that his body was broken that his blood 
was spilled, the debt was forever paid for that which he deemed to be worth it. You. You. And so with that in mind, as we celebrate communion today, Father, we choose to be mindful of how you value us. The sacrifice that you made, the obedience that you stepped into, and the offer and invitation that you give to us to forever follow you and be with you as you are with us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You partake in the bread and the cup. I'm going to wrap up. I'm not one of those preachers that lies and then goes for 15 more minutes. So I'm not going to have you sit down because we're going to get out of here in just a few moments. The interesting thing about the feeding of 5,000 is that once again, we see people properly or rather inappropriately valuing themselves. Jesus is there ministering in Matthew chapter 14. It's all four gospels. But the disciples come to him and say, hey, there's a huge need here. And listen, it doesn't take Jesus to see a need, does it? Just the normal disciples see that there's a need. It doesn't take God's perspective to see that there are needs. Are you with me today? You walk outside your door. You read the newspaper. If you are involved in social media, my goodness, there's just all these things that we can give to, all these holes that we can kind of be aware of. This is a desolate place. Send them out. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. They said, you must be crazy. We only got five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, not himself, he gave them to the disciples, those people who saw the problem. You go, you take this now. And everybody ate and they had some left over. church, that was a moment with 5,000 men, probably 10 to 12,000 people together. We are surrounded by 5,000 moments in all of our lives. We see needs. The problem is we devalue who we are and what we have. We see this huge need. Maybe it's the finances in this circumstance. Maybe it's the finances of the church. Maybe it's the volunteering opportunities in the church. Maybe it's the volunteering opportunities in your neighborhood. Maybe it's being nice to the neighbor. Maybe it's being something different than mean at work or whatever. We see the need and what happens is we devalue who we are and we don't understand what we have because we look at what we have and we see the need and we see a gap. Are you with me today? We see a gap between the huge need and a little bitty need. We did a huge need and a little bitty provision. I would submit to you today that the gap between the huge need and the little bitty provision of your life is called grace. And when we take, okay, I got a staff. Okay, I got a bag lunch. And we take it not to the need, but we take it, God, what are we supposed to do? God, what am I supposed to give my time, my talents, my treasures to? When we take it to Jesus, man, that's where the miracle happens because we step into the gap known of grace and God 
works a miracle. So I would just challenge you today, church. Who are you? What's in your hand? And it's interesting, we oftentimes try and organize what little we have, but Jesus organizes the need. He says, all y'all need to sit down. You need to get a view, you need to get a perspective of what's really happening here. Maybe you all need to organize some needs in your life. Organize those opportunities that you have, the time, the talents, the treasures. And please, don't just hear me. Yes, I do believe. If this is your church, I do believe something of you should be attached in a financial regard. Something of you should be attached in a talent regard. Something should be attached in a time regard. And we're so grateful that maybe you're on the journey and you don't give of any of those things. We're so glad that you're here. Let's take a step forward. And let it not just be at church. Let it also be in your family. Let it also be in your neighborhood. Let it also be at your place of business. When I'm wandering around lost in Trader Joe's, lend a helping hand to a brother. <laughs> but I, I'm with you. There are so many needs, and the provision is small. But anytime you see a gap like that, let us look into that with eyes of faith and say that's where grace will meet it. Amen? And so, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to step into those gaps. God, help us to not devalue who we are, but to value us as you value us. And look to what we have in our hands as the part that we play. We love you. We honor you. Amen. Let me leave you all with a benediction. And again, if you want to touch base with an elder team member, staff team member, and again, by and large, the answer will probably be, hey, we'll get back to you. We'll get you that document. We'll get you that answer, whatever you want. But that'll be taking place for the next 10 minutes or so by 12 o'clock in the lounge. We would so appreciate that. But let me leave you all with a benediction. I feel like I'm missing something. Am I missing something? Okay. All right. I'm just going to sit for a second. You know that feeling? I got that feeling. I'm good. Whatever. All right. <laughs> May we see ourselves as God sees us, valuing our treasures, our time, and our talents appropriately, that we may appropriate who we are to where we are living generously as God intended. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you all so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.